Energy is like the air you breathe. If you don't have air, you'll die. If you don't have electricity, your world collapses. The product at the core is a commodity. And by definition, you can't do anything with the commodity except change the price. Brands live in the consumer's mind. So you have to try to measure what's in the consumer's mind for you to be attacked as a brand. I wanted to bring to the energy space relevant information of how the energy client is actually different. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Dowenhauer. Today we are talking about energy branding, what makes one company different from the next, and how this affects the company's overall goals and business. Most of us think of branding as the tagline, colors, and you can't forget about that logo, but my guest today says that's not important at all. What is critical to a company's brand is its mission, what segment it is serving, what core values matter most, and most importantly, what makes it different. When it comes to energy companies, I broke down their core values to reliability, affordability, efficiency, and cleanliness, or being green. And an energy company weighs those four values into their brand into an infinite number of combinations. Our guest also points out that sometimes even the company's founders need help defining what their company brand really is, even though I always assumed a core mission was what a company founder conceived from the beginning. Let's take EnergyCast. This is my little business. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted this show to be, and those who've listened since the beginning, no, I haven't strayed too far from the original formula. I knew I wanted this to be an interview show. I also knew I wanted to focus much more on the business of energy and energy production than other programs, which I always felt solely defined energy by how it relates to the environment. My tagline, finally, an energy podcast about energy, is a pretty passive-aggressive snub to the other programs out there that have neglected to tell important stories about oil, gas, coal, nuclear, basically anything that isn't renewable. I designed the logo myself and wanted something sleek that looked like an old electrical appliance. Even the music, which Sean Stroop and I developed, had specific elements in there on purpose. That vibra-slap in the intro is an inside nod to a buddy who helped start me down this path. Our guest and I also talk a lot about what it means to be green and how there are many shades of green in the energy sector. Speaking of starting down this path, one of the first terms I coined was enviro-capitalist, meaning I believe that green business is good business. I also remember when I was working in the oil and gas sector, our growing company in Fort Worth had just hired a world-class marketing manager. My role was program manager, and we discussed one of our biocide treatment units that we use for fracking. The biocide was clean and didn't pollute the environment. By many standards, you could call that green. He disagreed, and him being the world-class marketing manager that he was, the green verbiage got 86 Another issue we discussed in today's episode is the challenge of branding a commodity. How do you differentiate the electricity you are selling from what the other guy is selling? It's all electrons, after all. It reminded me of the first episode of Mad Men when Don Draper was trying to solve a health challenge facing their key client, Lucky Strike. This scene, fictionalized for sure, shows how they were able to create one of the most memorable taglines of that era, as well as differentiate themselves from other packs of smokes out there. Gentlemen, before you leave, can I just say something? The Federal Trade Commission and Reader's Digest have done you a favor. 
It lets you know that any ad that brings up the concept of cigarettes and health together, it's just going to make people think of cancer. We have six identical companies making six identical products. We can say anything we want. How do you make your cigarettes? We breed insect repellent tobacco seeds, plant them in the North Carolina sunshine. Hey, that's where I live. Grow it, cut it, cure it, toast it. There you go. Everybody else's tobacco is poisonous. Lucky Strikes is toasted. Our guest today demonstrates there are some fundamental values you need to share with the competition, but it's the ability to differentiate on core components that make certain companies world-class brands. Our guest today is Dr. Friedrich Larsen, CEO of Larsen Energy Branding, a firm headquartered in Iceland. Friedrich is the first and for now only individual on the planet with a PhD in energy branding. He specializes in electric companies that are operating in deregulated or liberalized markets where customers can choose who provides their electric service. His firm also specializes in a method of ranking the effectiveness of a brand with a number from 0 to 100 called their EBI score. We'll talk more about how you score something as intangible as a brand. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Friedrich Larson. We're here with Friedrich Larson, CEO of Larson Energy Branding. And Friedrich, what is the single biggest mistake that companies make with their branding decisions? I would say that the single largest mistake is treat branding as a cosmetic thing and review it as a logo or a color because it's not. It's a philosophy. And the second mistake, in my opinion, is not getting the senior level management involved from the beginning because you can't really do it if it's stuck in the marketing department because this is a strategic thing that should be decided on on the top level, on a holistic level. And when we say branding, we're not really talking about the logo and the tagline as much as we're talking about a overall company company philosophy, right? No, absolutely right. And again, that word philosophy, there are many ways to run a company. It can be marketing driven. It can be driven on price and operations or speed or whatever. But I call it a philosophy because you decide that you want to be marketing oriented and you will use a brand to get your way across. And brand is so much deeper and so much more strategic than talking about a logo or a tagline. And the process of building and maintaining brand should be the key of so many companies around the world where you touch on every touch point, but it isn't. It's even frowned upon because people don't understand it. And that's understandable because people don't really take kindly or gladly to stuff they don't understand. But branding should be used more. Is there a client that you just would not take? Yeah, well, this is a really good question because I'm talking about a branding in a world that doesn't care about brands. They care about operations. It's very driven by engineers and people that are used to do things differently. So my task as a consultant in the business is to educate. So I am trying to educate the energy space, if you will, and help them to understand that they should actually think differently than they've done before. So change an attitude. So that being said, I basically welcome anyone if they are open to ideas. But I wouldn't want to work with someone that doesn't understand it and someone that's not buying into it. Because if that's the case, there's no point in starting anyway. You will not reach any results. So I wouldn't want to do that. You're kind of setting yourself up for failure because they're not going to want to listen to the advice that you're giving, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. But that being said, I have worked with clients and I had to start with the board 
to help them to understand and then go down to deep into the organization and everybody starts to understand. So it's a very rewarding thing because when people actually understand it, they do get on board. But I have not had the case yet where I just could not work with anyone. Let's talk about startups for a minute. Now, mm -hmm. how soon should a company that probably doesn't have that much money start thinking about seeking professional branding? I want to break this question up to two parts. Mm -hmm. Seeking professional branding is tricky because it's costly. But if you can afford it, fine, do that. But probably you have to spend your money on making a product or stopping some fires from burning or something. But you should start thinking about it from the beginning. You should start thinking about the marketing channels from the beginning. Because if you don't do it, there's more than likely that you will fail. In the startup world, there's a lot of love for products. People within the startups, they love their products and services. And they have no idea whether they are liked outside their company. So you have to go out, talk to the client, understand their needs, and understand how you will talk to them when you start to sell the product and when you are selling the product. And you do that through a good brand. So you have to think like a marketer, although you're not. I was thinking about this because you were talking about how you want to try to instill a class of ideas with very high level management. And I'm wondering how that could possibly conflict with their own ideas. I mean, these are founders of the company. They created the company based on some personal mission that they had. You wonder, well, they have it in their mind what they want their company mission to be. So how does that work with your ideas of coming in and trying to brand a company when and it would seem like the owners already understand what their company is and what it isn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. It's a, it's a really good question, actually. Let's take cases of where you couldn't do much. Let's think about guys like Steve Jobs with Apple. A branding consultant is not going to change his mind too much. <laughs> or let's think about Richard Branson, the Virgin brand. It's pretty much their brainchild and their branding guy isn't going to alter a lot right away. But the majority of companies, it's good that the founder is involved and it's good that he has his vision. But it's too often the case that they run with a vision without consulting marketers how to best optimize it. You have to go out and do research and try to see where the product fits. It makes it tougher if there's someone that's absolutely sure of things that should be done. If it's the right way, it's not a problem, but you have to rely on research. Let's talk about when a company is entering a saturated market. For instance, solar panel installation or batteries. How can they use marketing to rise above? Above the competition. Research, research, research. You have to go out, research the market, and see where the gaps lie. There's more than likely that you will find a gap. But maybe the gap is not of a functional matter or operational matter or the quality of the product. Maybe the gap is in the perception of the people. It might be an emotional gap. You can feel an emotional need. So you have to think of the market from a functional part or a rational part and an emotional part. And I know we're focusing on what branding really should be, which your core ideas and the core messaging and all that. And it's not just the logo or the colors, but I do want to ask a logo and or color question. I remember hearing this story about how all the fast food restaurants have yellow or red branding because it makes people think of speed. Are there any go-to colors or logo motifs that convey qualities for energy companies? Yeah, that's two colors that come to mind. A default, not to say that they should be used by all, but green, obviously. If you have a green product or you have a renewable product, or the tied to sustainability, then green obviously is the color. You understand that. Mm -hmm. And then the other color is blue because blue is the color of trust. And banks and institutions that rely on you to trust them, they use the blue color. But if everybody would be blue, they want to trust. And everybody that wants green, that you know, have the renewable, nobody would stand out. 
So you have to go out of the color palette to find your own color. And as far as logos are concerned, when I was working in water treatment, I dealt with a few startups and everybody wanted to do a raindrop or a droplet. And I was like, hey, come on, stop it with the droplets. And I'm sure the same <laughs> thing with energy companies. Everybody wants to do a lightning bolt or something like yeah, yeah. that. I'm sure you would advise folks that's played out. Avoid that. Try to do something else that would convey your message. That's a lazy choice, right? Yeah, it's a good point. In branded literature, this one is by Kevin Keller, who is, I'd say, the most respected branding guy alive today. And he came up with terminology called points of difference, points of parity. If you want to belong to a category, then you have to behave like other companies in the category. When you belong to a category, you also have to be different so people can have a reason to choose you. That can be basically anything. It can be anything else than a water or a lightning. Just be innovative. Go out, research, try to find what resonates with the clients that you want to talk to, you have to segment your market, find out what your segment wants, position your product and be different. You know, I was thinking also with the logo thing, I think a lot of new companies want to try to have a really great logo, right? But you're a startup. No one knows who your company is. So why all this emphasis on trying to do a logo when without the company name attached to it, no one's going to know what that is. It's sometimes a little too soon to roll out a logo, especially in the early days when no one knows what the logo means. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense because a logo it's a graphical design. It's an illustrative picture of whatever. It has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. It's not a brand until you start to load it or build into it the brand building blocks. I guess I'm agreeing with you. In the beginning, it doesn't matter so much, but you don't want to start off with a tacky logo or ugly <laughs> one or something that makes those who see it feel uncomfortable. I agree that it can't be too much overemphasis instead of building a brand properly. For energy companies, I'd have to think that the qualities that they try to convey are reliability, affordability, efficiency, cleanliness, or being green. Are there any qualities that you feel should always be at the forefront universally with energy companies? Yeah, reliability. If you buy energy, energy is like the air you breathe. If you don't have air, you'll die. If you don't have electricity, your world collapses. But that's the point of parity. Again, there's something you must do. I mean, you're a bad brand if you have to tell people you can rely on us. If that's the only thing you can say, you're not really a brand. Then you just a commodity amongst other commodities. In your book, you discuss the challenges of branding electric companies, especially in what we call deregulated markets where a consumer can choose who they pay their electric bill to. And that's a commodity. It's electricity. In most cases, for a commodity like electricity, it would normally come down to price. But you say there have been examples where branding made a difference. How so? When I started my PhD, my professors told me that I couldn't write about this because you can't brand a commodity. But I said, yes, you can because I can show you cases and I persevered. And I wrote a PhD of how you brand electricity. Of course, the product at the core is a commodity. And by definition, you can't do anything with the commodity except change the price. But if you look to a lot of stuff around the world, it is a commodity. Carbonated cola drink is a commodity. Coca-Cola is a brand. It's already been done in electricity. It comes to mind over the UK. It's a really good brand. And they won the world's best energy brand category. And another one is PowerShop, for example. It's out of New Zealand. They do a fantastic job of being totally different and being an actual brand. They use all the branding principles that are found in retail markets and fashion and consumer goods, and they've built their brand. So you can actually do it. We talked a little bit earlier about being green and what makes something green, but I think that's kind of a moving target. So do you think there's a definite line between something that is green and something that isn't? Or I guess there's shades of green, right? It's a good point, but you have to think, what do I think is green according to some science? 
scientific or technological definition and what do people think is green. In marketing, it doesn't matter what I think and what is the truth, if you will. It matters what the perception is, what people actually think. And I struggled with this, so I decided to do a research on what do consumers actually think that constitutes green. By definition, green energy is a unit of energy that is produced that replaces a worse source of energy. But for consumers, it's not the case. I've done some research in Eastern Europe. They think nuclear is green. If you go to Germany, nuclear is not considered green. But in the Czech Republic, they remember the time when they had coal plants that were replaced by nuclear plants, and all of a sudden they could breathe. Green is also considered something that's sustainable. Corporate social responsibility is very much tied to green. But all in all, consumers of energy, they are skeptical to green because there's been so much greenwashing in the past, and they just automatically don't believe it almost when they see it. You have to have a really strong base if you want to actually claim that you're green, because people probably won't believe you. And I think nowadays, companies that claim to be green that really aren't, there's certainly a backlash you call it greenwashing. Yeah, yeah. You can pollute on one side and then you can go and plant a forest of 100,000 trees and you are green and you can claim you're green. But are you green? It's debatable. Well, let's talk about the true arbiters of greenliness. I've talked about this in the past. It seems like a lot of large companies never can truly get on the good side of environmentalists. Environmentalists are really the cool kids on the block. Everybody wants to be on their good side. And there's different shades of environmentalists. We've talked to several of them on this program. Many hate nuclear. Almost everyone hates coal. But these energy companies' jobs is to ensure the lights stay on, ensure reliability. So sometimes they have to use nuclear and sometimes they have to use coal. So what extent should energy companies work with environmental groups? I think they should work with them. Your question has several facets. As for coal, coal is a dying thing. But now it is a part of the mix and we have to respect that it is a part of the mix. Because as you say, their part is to produce energy to live our daily lives. And you can burn coals in a cleaner way than you did in the past. But as for the question of environmentalists, of course you should work with them. But the problem is environmentalists are in one corner of the room shouting and those who making energy sometimes from less reliable sources. And of course, I'm speaking from Europe and you're in the States. It's politics too. It's a political decision. Should we burn coal? Stripping politics, you have to talk together. You have to understand what the other one is saying so you can find ways to coexist. I certainly agree. And you talked about the differences between Europe and the United States. And I'll be interested, you're in Iceland. You're literally in the middle. Um, any difference between the United States and Europe when it comes to branding? And I'm thinking a lot, Friedrich, about the issue with carbon. It's more monetized and regulated in Europe than it is in the United States at this point. What are some of the differences on either side of the Atlantic right now? There is a less difference. Of course, Iceland is 99% renewable. It's fantastic, but it doesn't exemplify how things are because we have so much geothermal and we have so much hydro. The best thing is to quote my conference. And I remember in the last panel, there were CEOs from the States and European ones. And they were speaking a different language when it came to green. The American CEOs admitted that they were so much far behind Europe when it came to carbon and green and all that stuff. And they just had to come to Europe to realize it. I'd say that you have a much narrower segment of consumers that are actually willing to pay for green, which also is the reason why. If there's nobody that is willing to pay for it, companies don't push it. But in Europe, you have countries like Germany with people willing to pay more for green. It has to do with a wallet and also idealism. But it has to do more with a wallet, just to be very frank about it. Certainly. Let's talk a little bit more about your 
company. Why did you think it was important to create a company that was focused exclusively on energy branding? And did you worry that maybe that would keep you from getting clients that were outside of the energy space? Yes, it definitely keeps me from getting clients from the outside. <laughs> but I believe if you do one thing well, it's better than to do 10 things fairly well. Now, I am the only one in the world that has a PhD on it because as the markets were being liberalized, as you say, in Europe, deregulated in the state, when consumers would have power to choose and they would have the real power. So I wanted to bring to the energy space relevant information of how the energy client is actually different. And I feel I can do a better service for my client if I know everything there is to know about the energy consumer. And as you know, the energy space is quite large. We are quite no, sure. and, <laughs> no shortage of companies. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things that you've worked on and developed is something called an EBBI score, an EBI score. You say it measures the effectiveness of a brand. So how are you measuring the effectiveness of a brand? Is that just qualitative or quantitative? Are there any metrics that you can do? Tell us about how you're measuring brands. The brand metrics around today are purely based on financials. And the score that I've devised measures the brand from the consumer's side. The consumers are asked about 35, 40 questions. We can give the energy companies a score of how good they are. As I said earlier, branding doesn't really have a lot of airtime within the energy space. It's a soft science. People don't really understand. But when you have a number and you can compare your company X and you score 65 on a scale from 0 to 100, and then the world's best energy brand, it's 81, then obviously you're not as good as you thought. Brands live in the consumer's mind. So you have to try to measure what's in the consumer's mind for you to be effective as a brand. Who had some of the best EBI scores and who had some of the worst? And why do you think that was? I can't really say companies, but those companies that have managed to be finalists in the world's best energy brands, they automatically have high scores. Companies like Eon, NL, and Ovo that I told you about. If people Google EBI and world's best energy brands, they will find a lot of companies. It's quite interesting. Bridget, can I finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies? And we are starting with natural gas. I think of Norway and relatively green, greener than coals. Crude oil. A necessary part of society, but we want to use less of it as time moves on. Nuclear. Relatively green, if you will. Better than many other sources, but dangerous. Coal. The whole world should agree on stop using coal. Wind. Renewable. Solar. Probably the future of renewable energy for many countries, not for the northern countries, but the future of energy in, in some sense. Biofuels. They don't have enough attention. Not as sexy as renewables, but we should emphasize them more. Hydroelectric. Pure, clean, in harmony with nature if it's done correctly. <laughs> and something that Iceland is probably most famous for, geothermal. Yeah, the swimming pools in Iceland, we heat up our houses with geothermal. It's also very clean. It's a neat source, but underutilized. And we should also point out, if not everyone knows, that Iceland is 100% renewable, geothermal and hydroelectric mainly, right? Yeah. And then next is electric vehicles. There's been a lot of debate on how good they are for the environment, but they are definitely the future of transportation. Energy efficiency. Same as biofuels. It's not considered as sexy as renewable, but saving is sexy. At the core of energy efficiency is to save, and that's part of being green. <laughs> Can't argue with you there. And then finally, nuclear fusion. I don't really know what it is, to be honest. Sounds like back to the future stuff. <laughs> Need some help with branding, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. All right. Friedrich Larson, Larson Energy Branding, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure.
That was Dr. Friedrich Larsen, CEO of Larsen Energy Branding, a firm based in Iceland. I wanted to get this show out quickly because they have a unique conference coming up on September 24th and 25th. Their Charge Energy Branding Conference will bring industry leaders from both sides of the Atlantic together. And this being Iceland, you can't ask for a more beautiful location for such a fascinating topic. We'll have links to the conference on energy-cast.com as well as some great pictures from this episode on Instagram at Host Energy. I want to thank Johan Paulson at Larsen Energy Branding for seeking me out. He found me after listening to my Climb On episode, which was really cool. And I want to thank Dr. Larsen for going above and beyond as a guest. I wasn't sure if I wanted to admit this or not, but I actually lost the entire recording of this interview, which is your worst nightmare on a program like this. But Dr. Larsen was kind enough to make time and re-record this entire episode with me, and he was such a great sport about it. Thank you so much. It would be nice to monetize this show and use those funds to get some better recording equipment after an incident like that, and you can help make that happen by sharing this show and giving us a positive rating on iTunes. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 40, another huge milestone. Thank you so much for your support, and we're not going anywhere. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.